Nine-year-old Gabe is lost and scared. After wandering off from his Boy Scout troop on a day hike in the Rockies, the situation is rapidly becoming dangerous. With only a light jacket, he's ill-prepared to face the dropping temperatures that nighttime will bring. The current search and rescue scenario will likely consist of humans and dogs searching on foot, and, if available, an aerial search with a helicopter. You're sending up a helicopter with a pilot, a couple pilots, and flying around. But drones are going to radically change search and rescue for the better. You could send 20 drones out for a fraction of the cost of that helicopter actually going up there. In the future, the search might look more like this. Information about Gabe is immediately relayed to a drone search and rescue network. 20 volunteers quickly convene at the search site and launch their drones, which coordinate via shared programming. 20 drones equipped with thermal cameras launch in all directions and begin a sweep of the area. The boy is quickly located. His coordinates relayed to search teams on the ground and he's reunited with his family within hours. And this is just one aspect of the future of drone technology, from the life-saving. Within 15 seconds, a drone can deploy a buoy to a drowning victim, delivering medical supplies to underserved or uh, areas that aren't going to be able to be reached via car. To the instant gratification of our consumer wants. Everyone's familiar, has probably seen the video on Amazon trying to do deliveries. And these drones delivered a bunch of barbecue. Uh, barbecue sandwiches and uh, food via drone. Like it or not, Drones are coming. Today, I will be talking about the benefits of and barriers to drone technology with Jonathan Perkins, producer of the reality TV show, Drone Wars. This is I Overheard. A documented case of saving a life. It's like rustling in the bush behind us. I think the idea is that as a drone, you're gonna have an unfair advantage over the fish. Yeah, I don't know, how, how does that work? What comes next? Actually, I'll just I'll ask you about the show, then you just kind of... Yeah, I mean... That's probably better to do that anyway. And do this like a... Let's do it organically right now. Like, yeah. If you do have some legitimate questions, I'll try and... Yeah. Oh, I do have a lot of... Legitimately. Legit and some illegitimate questions. I would actually like those. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so what do you want to know about Drone Wars? Or the drone world? I am curious about drones because I see drones as any other emerging technology. It is a tool that could be used for good. It's a tool that could be used for bad. And a lot of the times when new, new technologies emerge, the one thing that gets the most attention and the most notoriety and the most news are the bad stuff. And I wanna hear about the good stuff. And I think you're a great person to talk to about all the great aspects of drones. So, Jonathan Perkins, resident drone expert, uh, show producer, show runner, show guy, Hollywood guy. Et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Great voice, great look. I'll you know. take it all. If only, if only the, uh, the viewers at home, the listeners at home could uh, see me. Trust me, listeners, this is a Hollywood gentleman. I've got a great face for radio. Great face. <laughs> so Drone Wars was your show, and you explored all the many aspects of drones, and uh, not, you know, not the nefarious stuff, but the good stuff. And that's, as I said, uh, that's what I'm, I'm very interested in. So uh, tell us a little bit about Drone Wars, and then we'll get into the different aspects of uh, how the show showcased 
drones. So tell us about Drone Wars. Drone Wars is a 13 episode, 13 one hour episode show that we filmed in Zadar, Croatia. It is a show that kind of explores what drones can be used for. It's a reality competition show and it is seven teams of two people that compete um, in building engineering drones in order to overcome obstacles and challenges. Each episode has a different obstacle or challenge in order to overcome. And so they have to custom make a drone in order to uh, compete in that challenge. And there's uh, teams of two people. So they're usually comprised of an engineer and a pilot, or uh, we had actually a variety of people on the show. Um, some of them were professional racers. There's a, you know, racing drones that are out there right now. We had a couple that were with these tech companies. There was a, uh, these two guys from Texas that came on the, came on the show. They had uh, previously done something uh, paired up with Uber Eats, and it was one of these things where, if you know Uber Eats, oh, they yeah. deliver food. They did this, a drone version, and so it was basically a barbecue, and these drones delivered a bunch of barbecue, uh, barbecue sandwiches and uh, food via drone. So that, that was uh, their background. We had a couple of guys from a hack space. They were just basically computer hackers, but they, they understood the world of drones. It was a little bit challenging to actually cast the show because there's a lot of people that would say like, oh, I can fly a drone, but that wasn't what we needed on the show. We needed people that were smart enough to like basically build these things and right. in a limited amount of time. We filmed an episode, a one hour episode in three days, which is a, mm. actually like very quick for what we were, the type of show that we were doing. And so they were actually under a big time crunch in order to get these things done in time. And that was part of the challenge is like, you have limited resources, limited money and limited time. And that's part of the challenge that they all had to go into. Because you just brought up building the drone, uh, let's define what we mean when we say drone. What is, what is minimally, what, what is like the, 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 the most minimal drone we could think of? And let's think of the most expansive definition of what drones might be. Yeah, drone has become the popular term. Um, a lot of people would call them a, a multi-rotor. Or the most uh, accurate definition would be um, a UAV, a unmanned aerial vehicle. That's like if you want to get to the technical side, that's what they're actually going to be defined as. But right. if you want the marketing, the popular term, you call them a drone. Like remote control airplane yeah. is another way of saying it. Yeah. Okay. So they, I mean, these would fall, the RC industry has existed for, you know, decades, obviously. And it has just been in the last, I would say, decade or so where the multi-rotors that we're talking about, the drones, have become popular. And why this show even existed is there's been a lot of people paying attention. And it's because of, I think, with technology making these things cheaper to build and uh, easier to fly. I, when I was a kid, I flew remote-controlled airplanes and wanted to fly the helicopters but they were so expensive and so difficult to learn that once you crashed it, it was like several hundred dollars mm -hmm. that just went down the toilet. And so now you can go and buy a drone with a controller for 50 bucks or something, just one of these little things you fly around your house. And you can pick it up and uh, learn in no time at all. They're starting to get really easy. Uh, and so this, this level of, um, of building and of drone 
has become much more accessible because technology's out there. You have um, extreme in innovators, uh, companies like DJI are the guys on the forefront right now. They're probably, I would say, the ones that are innovating most and making this the most um, accessible to the masses because they're making these things so easy to fly. There's flight controllers. Think on your car, you have cruise control to help you out, you have power steering to help you out. There's a bunch of these little aids now in the drones that actually make them easier to fly for just the common person that can pick it up and they auto level, they will like help you out with your yaw, just different Landing, controls. taking yeah. off, all that stuff. It, to the point now where you can do all of this stuff, you can just set a routine and it will fly itself. Ooh. Yeah, so you actually don't have to do much at all if you just know how to, the, actually a couple of the guys, like the, especially the Hackspace guys that were on the show could just enter in some like coordinates. The, there's these thing called, things called aerial fences that you can set up. And it's basically telling the drone to follow this pattern, don't fly outside of the fence. Uh, and you can have this whole like parameter uh, that is set up so these things can fly on their own. Are we at the point where the drones, let, let's, I'm imagining a bunch of drones in the air all at one time. Are dr can drones communicate with one another and say, hey, I'm coming through, let me in, that kind of thing? Yeah, there was, I mean, one of the big examples right now, the past Super Bowl, Intel had a display where they launched uh, thousands of drones in the air to do a light show. And there was some, there's not a thousand pilots doing that. It was something that was all computer like Pre-programmed. Mm-hmm. And so they'll have basically a reference to anything else that's flying to where they're at proximity-wise. And again, all of these things can use these GPS global positioning systems in order to know what's around them, where they're at. The same thing as, you know, your phone will know where it's at. All of these things can do that same thing. And so, you know, in order to help not run into something else, whether that's another drone or a, an obstacle or whatever that is. A building, a, an actual plane if you're going that high. Yeah, yeah they, can all, they can all do that right now. So that, that tech is, is here. So in terms of scale, we, we can have drones as small as what, like a dime and as big as to carry humans? Is that what we're looking at right now? Both of those exist. Wow. There are super tiny ones that I've seen that you can, you can get on, online right now. Um, very tiny that'll fit in the palm of your hand. And I've seen some ones, um, actually, they've, they've done a couple of prototyping, uh, prototypes right now where people are actually on them and they're being used. I think the next iteration for that would be kind of like a, imagine like a taxi, uh, a small pod that would be able to carry two people. Wow. And that would have actual four rotors on the outside. I think one of the reasons why drone is, drones have become popular, especially with this four rotor setup, is because of the balance and stability it brings. With a typical helicopter, if you look at those, there's a giant prop on top and then there's a, um, a counterbalancer in the, in the rear because it creates so much um, torque that it will twist the thing around. With drones, they have the props set up to balance, uh, to balance each other out. And so you have um, a different pitch, reverse pitches on different props. And so they will, uh, the torque will balance out uh, the system so it's actually going to fly properly. And that's mostly what we're seeing on your show and people that are serious about drones. It's the four propeller one. Yeah. Always. Okay. So Is also, there other, are there versions? Yeah. So too? that's typically, that'll, these all fall under the, again, the UAVs, a drone. Those will be called quadcopters or a quad if you're uh, just for the shorthand of it. There will be... There's pentacopters, there's tricopters, mm -hmm. 
there's hexacopters, and there's octocopters. <laughs> and so on our show, the most popular were quads, and then we got up into octocopters, and they each have different skills and different advantages, disadvantages. The uh, quadcopter, typically it's fewer motors than an octocopter. Obviously you have four instead of eight, and so those would be used for a little bit more speed, agility, if you're in the racing side of the industry, right, you're right. going to use a quadcopter. If you want a heavy lifter, something for stability and also a little bit of redundancy, uh, then you'll go into the octocopter realm. More expensive, but will balance stuff out a little bit more. You can lose a prop, lose a motor, and you're not going to be as affected as with the quadcopter. You lose one and you're going to have to land that thing. Let's take a quick pause to hear from our sponsor. I want to tell you about our sponsor, Clockwise Media Group. Clockwise has been in the graphic design and website development business for over 25 years. Whether it's logos, brochures, posters, ads, packaging, whatever your graphic design needs might be, they've got you covered. If you need to build a website from scratch or take your current website to the next level, there is no one better in the business. They even do web hosting. Check out clockwisemediagroup.com. So on the show, you explored all these different ways in which drones can be helpful for human beings. And outside of, I mean, as a consumer, as a, just a regular guy, we hear all about deliveries. Oh, we're going to get pizzas delivered by drones. Amazon's going to use drones to do two-hour shipping or whatever it might be. Yeah. But there's so much more to drones than just getting a pizza. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So on the show, you had these challenges and the people would be building these drones uh, specifically for certain circumstances. Search and rescue is one of them. Uh, let's, let's go into some of the, some of the ideas in the, in the show that, that showcased uh, how these drones could be helpful for us. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, inspired me to kind of go in this, uh, this segment or this tangent for the show was this idea that drones can be used for more things than, I mean, we're seeing, we get the negative connotations of the spying aspect or just the crashing, uh, what are people, whatever people are kind of using as a negative connotation with it right now. Then it was our challenge to be able to come up with a show that we thought would be not just appealing for people in the industry, but also appealing to everyone. And there's this category called eco-drones. It's basically drones that have some sort of social utility or social benefit to people. And I found that really interesting because that is a, uh, that's a um, appealing to the masses type of topic. You mentioned a second ago, like the whole Amazon using for delivery mm -hmm. or pizzas using for delivery. Those would fall kind of under this category of something that, what are they doing for us? How can they actually help us out in our, in our daily lives? And I found that part to be like the, the most interesting and where I wanted to explore with the show. Um, I didn't want to make it just a show that was like hit it over the head and a, um, just, focusing, just focusing on these little things. I wanted to stretch it out, turn it into a competition. And so I tried to design these challenges in order to showcase what a drone can do, but not necessarily saying this is the only thing it can do. And so, for example, one of the episodes was this search and rescue episode. In 2013, there was this drone, it's actually in the Smithsonian right now, that was used for a search and rescue operation. It had a thermal camera on it. 
And there's, there was a search and rescue ground crew, uh, search and rescue uh, dogs that had been looking for this stranded victim weren't able to find them. And this drone went out with a thermal imaging system and was a actually able to find the stranded victim and save their life. And now this drone is in the Smithsonian because they were saying, hey, this actually saved someone's life. So this piece episode- of history. is the first drone human rescue that- Yeah. Wow. Okay, so- And so we built, uh, this episode was designed to take um, a person and put them in the woods, stranded in, we're in this Croatian forest, very dense, and we gave them a flare. And so they're in the middle of the woods and they shoot off this flare. And their teammate is located a couple miles away, not knowing exactly where they were. They just knew they were in these dense woods. So they take off their drone and they start to use the camera on the drone to look around and try and kind of scan the, the forest to see where they are. The person in the woods sets off the flare and then that gives the, their uh, teammate this idea of where they're at. So they would now fly the drone to where that flare was launched from and then they would drop a payload and that payload consisted of a walkie-talkie, a bottle of water, a map and a compass. And once they retrieved that, they would use the map and the compass and the walkie-talkie in order to run back to their teammate in as quick as time as possible, and that would get them the most points. And so we found a way to make it kind of a fun challenge, but it also showcases like, hey, here's actually what something is capable of doing. Right. And ended up being, I think, one of the funner challenges. It's actually turned into one of my like more interesting episodes to watch, just because there were times when... Uh, we were filming it. All of this was done, like this show doesn't exist. Some of this, uh, being able to see this stuff doesn't exist. And so it was a little bit of an exploration for us as well of like, all right, how are we going to film this and how are we going to make it into interesting TV? And there were times doing this where I remember I was with the team um, on the ground that was the pilot who was delivering the drone or delivering the payload. And so we sent this drone off and then we dropped the payload and then there's just this moment of silence. And we're in this Croatian woods. You don't hear anything. You might hear a little bit of like leaves rustling, but I mean, no city noise, no traffic noise. We are deep in the woods here. And there's just this moment of like, what comes next? Yeah. Like, did they, get the, did they get the payload? And it was the, the tension of sitting there and they pick up the walkie and they'd be like, you know, are you there? And it's just that sound of the you know, the, the walkie going in and out, and you're kind of waiting in anticipation, is someone on the other end of this line? And yeah. there was this, uh, almost this, you know, this feeling of uh, surprise and excitement when they would actually get it, and they'd be like, yeah, I got the payload, I'm looking at it now. When you're like, okay, they got it, it actually worked. It felt real, I bet, in some, in some way, that this could be real life. Uh, one of the teams, um, without spoiling anything, they flew it, and part of the challenge here is that we gave them is they're flying from deep in the woods, and these things fly by line of sight flying, and so you do need a clear line of sight. And so the challenge on this one is we stuck them in the woods as well. Typically, you're going to want you know a best um, uh, best viewpoint for this so that you're not obstructed by trees, buildings, whatever it is. And so we we take the drone off, we fly it out. And each of the guys that are piloting are looking through their goggles or their monitors and they're like, you can see that the, the footage is getting really staticky. And they're like, I'm losing video signal, I'm losing video signal. And there's these little controls on the controller that would say like telemetry loss, telemetry, uh, telemetry gain, telemetry uh, interrupted. 
and it's these little things that would say like, I'm getting bad radio signal. It's just this robotic voice. It was, you know, like Hal in Space, oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in space Odyssey. Um, and so you hear these things and it's kind of eerie. And he's flying and he's saying, I'm losing video signal. And you hear this telemetry lost. And he says, the aircraft is misbehaving. Oh, no. And then, and then he just kind of takes off his goggles <laughs> and he says, it's gone. Oh, and we're like, what, what happened? He's like, it's crashed. <laughs> Oh. We're like, so it's done. He's like, yeah, it's done. There's no oh. way. There's no way he's coming back. <laughs> and so we're sitting there for a second, like, oh, I guess, I guess that didn't work. Shoot, what do we do? Like, we tried to design this show, and we just lost this aircraft. And within a couple minutes, we hear this like rustling in the bush behind us, and it was his teammate. He had actually found it. It had crashed near enough by him <laughs> where he saw it go down grabbed it, was actually able to open the payload, and then wow. ran out of the forest. And each of us, like camera crew, wow. sound, host, everyone on the show was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he actually made it out of the woods. It was wow. a huge surprise. Yeah, that, so that, that's interesting. Is, is What are some of the natural obstacles that drone, drones face these days in terms of, of the signal and um, just environmental o- obstacles? Yeah, so we're, we still fight a lot of that like battery life is uh, a big thing right now of how long your, your battery's actually going to last. So that tech isn't quite there yet. It's getting know. there. It's better. I, mean, I was thinking a moment ago with the, the RC that I grew up on were all these little gas engines because that was the way you needed to get power. Just the lithium batteries weren't up to a standard yet or weren't mm-hmm. even uh, really mass produced um, in order to supply the power. So it was these little gas motors that weren't really that um, reliable and they were messy and you ran on this little like nitrous oxide fuel. Um, so now it's getting better and it just depends how many batteries you put on this thing for a flight time and how big the motors are that you're doing the power draw from. Yeah, which, which competes with the power that you're generating and the agility of the air. So yeah, exactly. there's a tension between battery life and agility and all that stuff. Yeah, because you sacrifice a little bit of performance when you start right. adding weight, but then you're trying to get uh, flight time. So battery is, is still a big one. Um, wind is a big obstacle for uh, anything that's flying. Right. That's, and that's always going to be the case. Um, so that was a challenge. Wait, and batteries, how, how long are we talking right now? What's the best we can, we can get? It depends how many of them you stack on there. If you're a, a typical, uh, I would say for a consumer drone. Like the, I mean, quad, like the typical quadcopter. Yeah, a, a consumer drone, you might get like 15 minutes out of. 15 minutes? Yeah, That's 15, it? maybe 20 minutes. Ooh. If you start stacking batteries and you start to kind of modify it a little, you might be able to get like half an hour 40 minutes would really be pushing it, but that's a long time in order to stay airborne for. Um, Then you talk about like the little racing quads are just very small, very lightweight, and it might be five minutes, but they're just like, I mean, think of like the uh, uh, nitrous dragster, like drag cars. It's just a really quick, really quick, fast in a short amount of time. That's what they're doing. So it's not, it's not a ton of time, but again, the technology's getting better and I think we'll start to see um, more and more flight time, just as the as the tech starts getting better out there. Um, this has to be difficult for search and rescue. Then, if you need to be up there looking around for somebody, then yeah. and you only have fifteen minutes. Yeah, you just set, you fly for twelve, come back, put a new battery on, fly for twelve, come back. Is that kind of what you have to do? Yeah, and I would say, well, the advantage in the search and rescue space is like if you're sending up your other alternative for aerials is a helicopter. And so you're sending up a helicopter with a pilot, a couple pilots, and flying around. 
you could send 20 drones out for a fraction of the cost of that helicopter actually going up there. Right. And so, again, let's say you take 20 drones and just send them in each a different direction. Mm-hmm. 20 drones looking for a person versus a helicopter, like you're significantly less expensive and you cover more area and more time than is even possible in another method like a an, you know traditional helicopter route. And so even though, yeah, let's say you get 15 minute flight time, multiply that times 20 going out in 20 different directions. Well, now you've actually covered a decent area. And especially if you, a lot of times with search and rescue, you have some sort of idea of like where you're looking. Right. Um, and that's, that's the challenge is you kind of have to look where they're going. We had one episode, this is another uh, challenge that we dealt with. Uh, basically the challenge was uh, you have to build a drone that will catch a fish. <laughs> and there's been a couple of videos out of people that have tried to do this um, so far. And there's actually something um, in California, they've actually prohibited using drones for fishing because I think the idea is that as a drone, you're going to have an unfair advantage over the fish. <laughs> as the, a human, you have an unfair advantage over the fish, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so we have this episode where they're building drones. And every one of these guys has flown before. And they're saying, like, drones and water don't mix. Yeah, I don't know. How, how does that work? Yeah, so this is a, a big challenge. We went into it knowing this. We're fishing on the Adriatic Sea. Salt water and electronics <laughs> definitely don't mix. And we're flying these things trying to – we didn't use them. One of the things they can be uh, valuable for is, like, an aerial view and looking for where pods of fish could be. We didn't get into any of that. Part of this challenge was just to make a system that will deploy a hook or some sort of catching device. And each of the guys came up with something different. It was as simple as uh, an actual line with a hook and bait that went into the water and it just kind of hovers above the water to one of the teams basically developed these little um, fish nets that they would deploy. And so they would take take a net, they'd drop it off, then they'd return to shore, grab another net, drop it off, and put all these nets in the water and then they would return to see if they caught anything. Um, That day, I remember being a production nightmare because a lot of the drones ended up crashing in the water, costing (laughs) a lot of money, and one of our camera drones was uh, going over and crashed in the water. And the camera drone, one, has like an expensive camera on it to get the aerial footage that we wanted, Two, has the footage that we were shooting on it. (laughs) It goes into the Adriatic Sea. We're like, shoot, we need to get the boat over. So the boat goes over, is looking for it. It sinks down. We don't know exactly where it is. We have some coordinates of where it went down in the water, but we don't know anything other than that. It was towards the end of the day. We're packing up the rest of the crew and the rest of the production supplies, and we get someone who's going to go and dive in after it. They dive in, they go down. At that point, it was roughly 30 meters, so about 100 feet deep. And they're doing these little perimeter suites. So they're going one meter out, five meters out, 10 meters out. So looking for the drone in this area, nothing comes up. And this is, sun is setting. Imagine 100 feet down, you don't have great light anyway. And they're like, it's, it's gone. Oh. One of our producers on the show uh, is from Croatia. And he's like, I'll, I'll call in a favor. Don't worry about it. And so we're like, okay. So that night goes by. The next day, I look for this producer. He's not on set. He gives me a call. And he's like, I got the drone. I'm like, what are you talking about? 
He, so what happened is he called in a training exercise. He had friends in the Croatian military, oh. and they basically did a training exercise nice. to where they brought him to this area, <laughs> and they're like, we need to find, you know, find this thing. It ended up that they went to the place where it crashed, and they found it basically 100 feet away because once it had like hit the water, the current had taken it, and it sunk down, and it was sitting about 100 feet away, and they were able to get it. And the drone was, was trash. I mean, it had basically been 24 hours in salt water, completely destroyed. However, the footage, footage was actually, uh, it was, uh, actually salvageable. Nice. So we saved the footage after all that, surprisingly. You, you keep mentioning Croatia and the Adriatic Sea. I mean, why couldn't you just film in, like, Boulder, in the Boulder Reservoir or <laughs> somewhere in California? Yeah, so we looked at shooting it here and would have loved to shoot it here just because uh, it's home. Yeah. but weren't able to. Uh, there's a lot of laws and rules in the United States right now for drone usage, and it was too strict. We couldn't get away with any of the stuff that we did, so we had to look internationally or in order to shoot this show. And so there's, you know, you talked about a minute ago of like, people are quick to point out the negatives of drone. And I would say, think of any technology or any new thing. People are resistant to change. Any tool? Yeah. People are resistant to change just normally. Right. And I look at this of like, um, as, as a species, we tend to have more acute memories or remember disasters more than we do benefits. Availability bias. Yeah. That's what it's called. So when something goes wrong, it really sticks in our head of mm -hmm. like, hey, this, this went wrong and now this is a challenge. The, the important thing for me to remember is like all of these things are tools. Uh, a gun is neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it. It is. And that same, same thing is with the drones. They're neither good nor bad. It's how they're used. Can someone use a drone to be a problem? 100%. Um, can someone use a drone to be a benefit to society? Absolutely. I think the idea here is not to look at the drones as the villain. It's what are we doing with them? And that's the it comes back as, as people, we don't want to take the blame on ourselves. We just want to take away uh, the uh, availability of people to do something. But the problem is that we're never going to solve is there's bad people in the world. There's, you know, there's bad intent in the world. And you can never stop that. It's never been stopped. It will never be stopped. It's just something that's out there. But how can we use the benefit to actually you know, help us out, not just to look at how it could you know, mess things up, but how could it actually help things out? Yeah, it's amazing that people are so nervous about flying. And as we all know, statistics say you're more likely to die on the way to the airport in the car rather than on the flight. But everyone remembers TWA Flight 800. When it goes down and a bunch of people die, it's it's like the one thing that happens a decade. It's easily remembered. Right. Um, so the good, the good aspects, we have search and rescue. We have a, a documented case of saving a life. That's fantastic. Uh, pizza, that's also fantastic. I mean, not really on the same level, but I enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, tough to compare that when you're talking about saving <laughs> someone's life and you're like, if I can get a pizza. If I can quickly, get this pepperoni pizza, I'd be important. really happy. Uh, what are some of the other what are some of the other ways in which drones can help us and in, 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 uh, in, enrich our lives? Yeah, there's uh, everyone's familiar has probably seen the video on Amazon trying to do deliveries. Right. Um, that's a, a popular one, but even more into this eco drone in the, the categories here of like even uh, life-saving benefits, 
there's, uh, there's cases right now where they're taking drones and they're putting them on the edge of lifeguard towers. And within 15 seconds, a drone can deploy a buoy to a drowning victim. That's faster than a lifeguard can hit the shoreline. Yeah. And if they get that buoy right away, you still need a lifeguard there. You still need some, someone there. But, I mean, time, and that time can mean the difference between life and death. And something like that is actually like, hey, if you can save, if one person's life can be saved by a drone and the technology, it's absolutely worth it. Or within 15 seconds, the drone can deploy a pizza to the drowning victim so that at least they can have some pepperoni pizza before they die. Yeah. I, I mean, no one wants to die on an empty stomach. That's <laughs> exactly. why you have last meal going to the electric chair. Right. It's important. Yeah. So this drone's faster than Michael Phelps. Uh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. So that's, that's, one, that's one area where they're uh, beneficial for... Another one that's kind of big right now is delivering medical supplies to underserved or uh, areas that aren't going to be able to be reached via car or are cost prohibitive via plane. Uh, medical supplies, food, uh, something like that. They can drop off stuff to remote areas that are inaccessible by, uh, by vehicle. That's an important one right now. Just in But attention on, uh, so delivering stuff to remote areas, isn't the battery problem a real problem for that? If you're trying to go to some remote area, wouldn't you need something more more flight time? I think it's a combination of getting it's how you design the drone. Again, you can kind of maximize that flight time depending on on how you're doing it. And let's let's go out from just what we're talking about the quadcopter, the octocopter, drones in general. If if we're just talking about an unmanned aerial vehicle, you can have these things. I mean, the military is using you yeah. know giant drones that are capable of flying at, you know, Mach 2 or going thousands of miles, that's a drone. And you can even take these into a category of, let's say you design some sort of like helium blimp system that is now going, it's not going to go anywhere fast, but its flight time is, you know, days. Right, right. And they have, they have things that are flying around the world right now of these solar-powered drones that are just, once they get up in the air... They have such a large wingspan that they're able to uh, circumnavigate the globe. And it's, it's unmanned. It's able to do it. I think, actually, Facebook is looking at doing this right now, of trying to deliver Wi-Fi, is using these drone systems where they're having some sort of, like, Wi-Fi system to fly around areas that would be, like... Yeah, like a me- you could put a mesh net on it. Yeah. And then have, like, a Wi-Fi signal. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh-huh. I mean, the technology, it's, it's getting there and... Like all technology, iteration one is never as good as iteration two. But you never get to iteration two unless you have one to, to fall back on. There was a, actually a line from one of the competitors on the show, and they had crashed a drone. And I had asked them a question about, you know, why didn't you just do this before? Why didn't you make these tweaks? And they said, the, the type of information that we just learned is information you have to earn. Wow. And that was an important thing to me is like, you have to earn that. You have to go through the process. You have to learn what works, what doesn't. It's the trial and error. That's science in a nutshell is like, let's test something out and see what the results are and go back on it. And that's how, as a species, we've always developed things to begin with. We didn't you know, end up with microwaves and light bulbs and everything because someone got it right on the first try. It was multiple iterations in order to get it where it was. And I think that's an important thing with technology, understanding the first iteration of it, it might not be the cleanest, it might not be the safest, it might not be the best, but it's a technology or it's an education that you're getting in the process. 
I think the key thing to remember with all of these trial and errors and all the iterations is that when the cost has been brought down because of advancements, it's almost like a circular thing. You need the trial and error to get better and to bring the cost down. But you need the cost down in order to be able to fail as many times as you need to fail in order to get it right. right. So you have this chicken and egg problem and any sort of barrier to entry, any sort of regulation or any sort of um, roadblock makes that cost greater, in which case it makes people more scared to fail, in which case people take less chances and you get less advancement. So the more that we can allow an openness and a, and a uh, ask, you know, ask for forgiveness later type policy, you get more people trying more things, more people failing, but more people discovering. And then you get all these advancements. You get drones flying around the world, drones carrying human beings and all that. Uh, which brings me wondering, everything you've seen on the show, everything you've heard from the tech guys, the, the people building drones from the ground up, where do you see, how far can this go? I mean, taking humans and stuff, that just seems incra- crazy to me. Somebody on the ground with a remote control with two humans up there, that seems pretty space age. Uh, is, are we going beyond that? Are we taking drones to the moon? I mean, where are we going? Yeah, as far as unmanned stuff, I think it's possible. I was on a flight recently, and I was actually sitting next to a pilot who was just using it as like a jump flight to get to his, uh, his, his next flight. And we were talking about uh, flying the planes. And he was saying there are systems right now in the, the newer airplanes for landing where you can uh, basically, they'll land themselves. You just put in the coordinates you put in. There's a little system you have to do with the computer, the navigation and everything um, that the, the plane will land, land itself. And we're getting to a point where technology will try and compensate for uh, a human having to come in and do that. And that saves time. I mean, once you develop that technology, it saves time. And I think, I, I think about the military application right now in fighter planes is there's these guys that have grown up playing video games and now the military is recruiting them because they are, their senses, their hand-eye coordination is so good that they can take this off and be engaged in an air fight of 5,000 miles away. And actually, if the plane goes down, yeah, you lose, you lose the money and you lose the tech that was involved, but you don't lose a human life in it. And I think that's an important thing um, with what we're realizing in, in technology just increasing right now is these things, this is a tough thing to quantify of how many lives have been saved, how many lives have been lost. You don't know. I mean, that's a, a difficult thing just to try and put a number on. But it's trying to ask, the as, as humans, trying to make us stop innovating. It, it's not going to happen. There's always trying to wonder what's next, trying to build bigger, better, newer, more efficient. And I think coming upon that efficiency thing, you just spoke about this, is Right now, we're in a little bit of a, I feel like a a generational observation of, I want to be as efficient as possible, meaning I want to succeed and I don't want to fail. But I think the important thing to look at is you don't get those successes without failures. Failure Mm -hmm. is the greatest teacher out there. Absolutely. Because you learn about what didn't work and that helps you to learn about what will work. Right. And that's that's the big thing is, and there's many companies that adhere to this philosophy of fail small and fail fast. Right. Like try and figure out what those are and so that they don't happen down the line. But you have to be open to that failure. No one likes to fail. 
it's not fun, but it is uh, illuminating. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like the the another big aspect of the future is not driverless drones, but flyerless drones. You've mentioned this several times. Is these drones go around, fly themselves, and uh, that could be the the next thing. I guess program them to go do stuff and yeah. I mean, we're, this show, we obviously tapped into a little bit of the hobbyist side where these guys really like to fly the drones and just that feeling. Um, there's a couple ways you can fly these drones. There's a method called line of sight where you're just standing on the ground and you're watching this. And then there's another method called FPV or first person view. And you can either look at a monitor or wear a set of goggles to see what the drone is seeing. Ooh. And the guys that are in the racing leagues use this FPV. They put on goggles, and many of them have described it like they feel like they're a bird flying. It's this really euphoric feeling of not being grounded and getting to experience what this drone is experiencing. And I tried it out, and it's actually kind of a fun, a fun feeling to be up there, and you're in control of where you're going. And that was something that these hobbyists and the fun part of the industry. Getting into the unmanned aerial, unmanned aerial vehicles and basically just the robotic side of this, I think when we're talking about uh, basically some of the social utility that these can do, there's setting up computers in order to, to do this and looking at the ways to um, find a drowning victim, deliver medical supplies, find a stranded victim, whatever that is, there's some things that computers can do that just, you know, will check the, the processes and go through iteration after iteration of here's what I need to check and here's where I need to look in order for this to, to work. The idea here is, um, I don't know, I would say to completely cut out humans altogether. Um, we had this, uh, this back and forth on the show. There was one team that relied a lot on flight aids, on the systems, the auto leveling, the GPS, the engineering of it. They really relied on, the, they spent the time engineering it so that the computers would do the flying for them. Conversely, we had another team that had the simplest flight controllers possible. They didn't want a computer to come in and touch anything. And wow. so they wanted to be the pilots and if they you know, hit you know, left stick, right stick, whatever it was, they wanted immediate feedback. And it was a little bit of a competition between these two teams because ah. they, were, they were juxtaposed to each other on the tech side of it. And it was interesting to see which, which times, which team would come out ahead and which team would not. And there were times where it was like, uh, the computer actually would sometimes get in the way. And there were times where the computer actually would save, uh, save the drone. And so, uh, it was fun just to be a witness to what was going on and how they were experiencing that. What, what do you think, coming away from Croatia and having done the, the show, what was the biggest lesson you learned uh, in, in regards to anything? Not just drones, but just in regards to anything. Um, there were a lot of production lessons, and that just happens for me uh, on the producing, directing side of how I can make a show and be more efficient about it. The, you know, specifically with this show, a drone-related show, there was a lot of fun uh, to be had just because of, I'm one that likes the subject matter to begin with. I'm a little bit of a technophile. And so just to see what is capable and what is possible, that would probably be one of my bigger lessons on this and to explore how much these things could actually do for us and how much uh, that's within our reach right now. 
again, we turn this into a fun competition show, but exploring these things of like, hey, this could save someone's life, this could make your life easier, those things are all within reach and being able to see those was like, hey, this is here, we just need to, you know, rein it in a little bit, go through the next few iterations, have a couple more failures of figuring out the proper application, what works, what doesn't work with it. And it's here, it's already here. Um, and now just the, the cost is continually being driven down. The technology is be, uh, becoming better and better. And so it's becoming more accessible for, for everyone. Is America going to be leading this, this innovation? Because you just mentioned we, we couldn't, you couldn't even shoot in America because of the rules and regulations. Does that mean we have to rely on other countries to innovate or are we still doing that? There again is a little bit of that double-edged sword. I feel like America is this really great country because of the ability for a lot of influence, a lot of ideas, a lot of exploration. That's something that has benefited us as a nation in becoming, um, I think, very technologically advanced. Um, However, we need to make sure we foster that creativity and allow it to continue. Yeah, there's a lot of restrictions right now. Some of those are meant to weed out the, you know, the bad stuff that's happening. I think we just need to be mindful of how we're putting up those restrictions. There's a tendency, like a drone crash happens, and the first tendency is like, all right, let's just eliminate drones. That's a solution, but it might not be addressing what the problem was. And that is a problem in and of itself, is just offering a solution that's not, you know, being a solution to the right problem. So I think the big lesson to be learned there is like, what are the problems that are being caused and what solutions are we offering for those? And so America, yeah, I think will continue to be one of the leading innovators in this just because we have a lot of that um, creativity and just a a culture of doing that. Um, It's not to say that we're not going to have a lot of innovation from other parts of the world, but um, yeah, America is still going to be on the leading edge of that. I think it's just being able to have that balance between um, allowing creativity to move forward, innovation to move forward, and keeping a a balance with outlawing this stuff, uh, banning this stuff, that's not the right answer. I'm not saying that, you know, we should just go wild west here and allow anything to take place. But it's also that that is one radical end of the spectrum. That's not the appropriate route. But the other radical end of the other side of the spectrum is just to say, let's ban everything altogether. Yeah, you don't, if you have a toe ache, you don't cut your foot off. Exactly. Well, Jonathan, we really appreciate it. Uh, We'd love to have you back anytime on your next show, whatever that might be, whatever the next techno thing that you're doing. Love to be back. All right. Thanks, man. Yep. If you're interested in learning more about Jonathan and Drone Wars, visit us at iOverheard.com. You'll also find links to some of the drone scenarios mentioned in this podcast, such as search and rescue drones, food delivery drones, and drones for transporting people. If you like what you overheard on this podcast, tell a friend and stay tuned for our next episode